the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Caroline. No one can do it quite like Caroline. It's time for Caroline. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Hyper Caroline Hobby. I am your host, Caroline Hobby. I know music, I know people, and I know the questions you want to ask. So let's get hyper. Heads up, these are adults having adult conversations, so there could be adult content. You guys, I am so excited. I have Skip Bishop joining me today. This guy is magical. It's the only way I can describe him. He, you see him, he's like a musical wizard. He walks in, he has all these turquoise rings, he's got this wild hair, this huge, light, effervescent personality, and he comes in and he literally casts a spell on you. He's amazing. I got to work with him. He started a label called Hit Shop Records, and we worked together. I worked on his radio promotion team. It was an amazing experience. He ran, he was vice president of Sony Promotion, vice president of Arista Promotion. He's worked in record labels in the industry for over 40 years. He's worked with Lisa Alan Jackson, Carrie Underwood, everyone at Sony. He's absolutely incredible. He has so many stories. He got started off as a, a fake radio personality when he was a kid talking into a cardboard box and performing for the whole neighborhood. He's incredible. His stories are great. So I'm so excited. You guys welcome Skip Bishop. So I'm here with Skip Bishop today. This is so strange. It's well, so fun. Is it weird that I'm interviewing you? I yeah, I it was is. Your employee. I think I interviewed you once for a job, for and then a job. you made me um, from, uh, special ops regional. I did. That was really fun. <laughs> that was, you know, that really worked. It really did. That was one of our craziest ideas, and it just so worked. Did I really interview you, or did we just say, "Hey, should we do this"? I think you just said, "Hey, let's do this." I think I did. So, okay, so going and, back. And we did. And we did, and we did a really good job. So I worked for you at Hit Shop Records. Yes, you did. To all you guys listening, Skip Bishop is a promotion extraordinaire, mm -hmm. which most people don't know anything about what record labels are or what working in promotions means or anything like that. It's a mysterious profession. It is, isn't it? Can yeah. you kind of give us a breakdown of what that even means to be head of promotions? At a record label? Yeah, I can. Um, but, you know, to someone who, you know, out there in the, in the outside world, they don't really realize that there's this very mysterious profession called record promoter. Right. And they sort of work in the shadows. They're not openly known. but They if make you really, it all happen. They make it all happen. And you think about the importance of it. That so, take a great song like like um, the house that built me. The house that built me, or you can go all the way back to Marvin Gaye, "What's Going On," or Bob Dylan, "Like a Rolling Stone," and all these songs that either launched a revolution or became the theme of a cause, or was maybe your daughter's first dance at a wedding, or was something that will always remind you of a beach relationship that you had in 19 something right somebody had to get those records played they did not just mysteriously play themselves appear on the radio which is what probably most people think yeah they think oh these songs are so great and they and there is a machinery that that gets 
records on the radio. There's there's a there's a serious profession. There's an education process. There is an economic structure. There's staffs of usually at a record company. It's the biggest staff on a record company. The, the promotion promotions. staff, right? And that's the thing. There's a huge staff that has to get records played. That's correct. It takes a team. It takes a team, and it also takes a, about a mountain of money. A ton of money. Yeah, it's really not. It's not cheap. It it takes just. You think about the travel alone, and when you're trying to break a new artist, let's say, let's come up with an artist, Stealing Angels. Oh my gosh, those! They the, never quite made it, did they? Well, you know, they did. They did pretty darn well, though. They made a splash. But you think about just how many radio stations they oh walked God. into. I think it was a million dollars at least spent. It had to be. Had to be. It had to be, and they were so talented and cute and cute, adorable, stunningly gorgeous. Oh, too bad. We and don't, so talented. The world will never know. You know where I saw Stealing Angels for the first time? I think I told you this. Where? At Al Gore's house. Oh yeah, we did play Al yeah, Gore's house. Yeah, and that was the first time I think I met you, and it was the first time I saw. Stealing angels. And we got in trouble there because we used to always like post pictures and we always had video cameras and we started videoing everything and the Secret Service confiscated all of our videos. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. And that was the first time I ever really learned something about politics. That was quite a uh, that was quite a little event. Al Gore said that the lay public knows about two percent of what really goes on. I think I, I agree, but I think that in today's immediate environment, immediate environment, where you look at the things that have happened in the last 48 hours in politics, things are changing. People are starting to really be able to, because of social media and because of of everyone's life being so broadcast and so visible, that people are starting to find out now that you can run, but you can't hide. That's right. I mean, I... I that is I, so true. I'm, 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 I'm frightened. When I when I check the news in the morning, which I do, I say, Alexa, can you give me the news headlines? Who's Alexa? Oh. Did you rename Siri Alexa? Oh God, you are so yesterday. <laughs> is Alexa all, your cyber girlfriend? Alexa is my cyber girlfriend, and she's also so many other people's cyber girlfriend. So she's like that site where married men go to cheat. It's called no. Uh, what's it called? No, no. Do you know what I'm talking about? I certainly do not. It was a huge I am, thing. I am married to the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm not talking about it. It's <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Who Dude. happens to be in the room. Yes. So I'll tell you the name of it later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your wife, your beautiful wife, Diane, is joining us. And Emma, the dog. And Emma. It's Who the best you, audience you could ever this have. This is really cool. Emma used to be your dog. Now, Diane was never your wife. That's right. But Emma was your dog, and now Emma is our dog. So when I was working at Hit Shop, I had a friend who had Emma mm-hmm. who... Ended up staying at the house with us. Is this show called ADD.com? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, It's called Rabbit Trail. (laughs) (laughs) And so when my friend, Byron, he Mm -hmm. moved in with me and my roommate, Emily, and Mm -hmm. his son, Mm -hmm. Booker, Mm -hmm. and Emma, the dog. And then I ended up keeping Emma, brought her to the office every day. You ended up falling in love with her. And now Emma is your dog. Yes, Connect that's those true. Dots. Yeah, that, it's really funny. And I like that you let us bring dogs to the office when we were you. It was a dog-friendly environment. <laughs> it really was. It was. We had rules. If they if they peed on the floor, out they went. Unless you're Ruby. Yeah, unless you're Ruby, could pee <laughs> on the floor, and they had to take their little walks every day. And if they made too much noise, they were banned. But they weren't banned for long because we missed them. <laughs> Working for you was the best. We had a good time. We did. Okay, I want to ask you a few questions. A little rapid fire. I got to move the Buddha head. All right. Mm-hmm. If you had to have one word to describe yourself, what would it be? 
tornadic. Tornadic. I don't know why I came up with that. It's just why a good word. Why did you have so many moving pieces swirling at all times? I am tornadic. I am tornadic. My right. life is tornadic. But in it's, a good way. In a fantastic way. It's not way. a destructive tornado. There is nothing slow and peaceful going on <laughs> in my life. It is all one big spinning mess, and it's a beautiful mess. But you like can juggle the spinning mess. I'm a juggler. How do you juggle the tornadic, tornadic spinning mess? I don't know where I came up with tornadic. <laughs> it just just came to me. Uh, I've I've always done that. I like doing a lot of things, a lot of different things, and a lot of and have you know a lot of different interests and a lot of different friends, and that you know keep everybody connected. And it moves fast, and it's really exciting. I mean, my, my our audience over there, we were talking about was it 20 minutes ago that we were thinking about doing this in New York, and all of a sudden, boom, our lives have been spinning, sometimes out of control, but mostly in control Right. for for as long as I can ever remember. That's the way you like it. I do like it that way. What was your upbringing like? Did you grow up with a lot of moving pieces all the time? I did. My mother was uh, uh, an absolute uh, dynamic person. She raised uh, myself and my sisters, and uh, she was a high school teacher and she 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 wrote books as her life went along she she had people in and out of the house all the time people would come and stay in the house and they would like these these kids that were either bounced out of their house or people that needed a place to stay for six months we in with you guys? were always in with us. And there was like 12 people at the dinner table and everyone had different last That's names. That's where you guys get it. Cause you and Diane always have like Sunday dinner and y'all we invite do. everyone in the neighborhood and their dogs. Like we all, do. everyone can come over. We do. And they do. So you get that from your mom. I guess so. Yeah. She always said, come one, come all. Anyone's yeah. And welcome. it was, it was a, a wonderful environment. I mean, when I was a kid, people were sitting around in our living room playing guitars and singing. And some of them I knew who they were and some of them I didn't. There were poets. There were uh, painters. It was all a very artistic group. group. Your mom artistic? Uh yeah, she was. She could draw. She she was a pretty good writer. Or creative. Yeah, she say. yeah she wrote a book and she wrote a weekly column in the newspaper. Oh wow! And she was very very smart, but she was crazy as hell. <laughs> she was really wacky. What was her crazy like? Could be annoying. <laughs> it was a little annoying. She was uh, she loved to. She, she was kind of a somewhat of a puppet master. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you How feel about like you yours? Get some I've met your beautiful mother. <laughs> oh yes, my parents are. Fantastic. They really are. Your They're dad's great. very, very cool too. I met him. He survived a shark bite, bite attack to the face. Excuse me? You didn't hear about that? No. He made the World Wide Web. Yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, we were in the Bahamas last we year. We don't have the World Wide Web yet over here on <laughs> Sneed Road. He uh, was spearfishing in the Bahamas with my whole family and got a fish and a shark bit him in the face. And you're kidding. He survived. Yeah. He was. Excited about well, it. How too. does his face look? Great, just a few scars, and he thinks it adds character and yeah, clout. I'm sure it does. Yeah, that is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Uh, Danville, Virginia. What brought you to Nashville? And what brought you to music? I know you d- haven't always been in Nashville. You've been in New York. You've done all sorts of record label stuff. Well, Nashville is is kind of a funny story because we were in. Uh, New York. We were living in New York for a very long time. Did you oh, love oh, living in New York? Yes, and we miss it very much. I was there yesterday, and I called home and I said, we have got to move back here because miss it, miss it, miss it. Do you think you will? Love it, love it, love it. I hope so at some point, but we love Nashville too. I mean, right. we, we ideally we'd like to have a house here 
in Nashville, a house in New York, and a house in Mexico. Well, you have two, and of, I, two out of three. Well, we do. You have the Mexico and the Nashville. So I got to well, just get a little apartment in New York. A tiny one. Yeah. Little bitty. All you need is a tiny apartment in New York. Little bitty bitty. Our yeah. first apartment in New York was about as big as the closet right over there behind that curtain. Isn't it, that kind of sweet, though? It was great. The living room, the dining room, the bedroom, the uh, dressing room, and the den were all one room. And then there was a kitchen that was separate, and it was really, that was, it was like we go on vacation, we go into the kitchen. It was like a trip. I love that. Yeah, it was very nice. So how did you get into music and the music industry and all of that from your town, your little town, because was your family? I've never, no, I've never done anything else. How did you know you wanted to do it? Because it's, I was born knowing that I wanted to do it. It How did you know it existed? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when I was tiny, all I did was listen to the radio. I just, it's all I ever did and, and collect records. And that's all I did. That's all I did. (laughs) And I mean, and it was, it was crazy. I tell the story all the time that my parents used to tell, because I remember when I was really little, my parents bought some new carpet and the carpet came in a huge cardboard roll. It was like this big around. Okay. And it was like about seven to, I guess it was about seven feet long. It was this big tube and they pulled the carpet out of the big tube. And at the end of, you know, one end was wide open. The other end was closed off and had a hole in it about this big. (laughs) So, I took the tube, the big carpet tube, and I put it on the porch, and I put, propped it up on a. Ch- I propped it up on a chair. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Keep should that we, microphone should, your mouth. should we have headsets on? We should. Yeah, but we don't. But we don't. Okay. <laughs> so, I would. I took my little record player out there, and what I would do is I put the. I propped the the the, the tube up on the railing and put the other end on a chair, a ladder back chair. And I would play a record on my record player, and then I would talk into the hole. Like, (laughs) okay, that was The Searchers with Bumblebee. And before you know it, all my my buddies in the neighborhood, the kids in the neighborhood, would be sitting in the front yard, and I would do it every day. So you were their DJ. I was their DJ, and I would play it through the carpet thing. And I would I would move the tube over to the record player when the record was playing, and then it was time for me to talk. And I would change records with one hand and talk about the record that I was about to play. That's creative. Well, it was fun, and then the the audience started getting bigger, and I thought. Really well, this is here. this is working. I'm building up a fan base. <laughs> All right, here on Carpet Radio. <laughs> oh, you should start uh, Carpet Radio. I think so. Oh, and okay, that's great. it has a sad ending. Oh no! I left the carpet tube on the porch, and there was a very very bad storm, Rainstorm. and it just warped it. How long did you have it? Weeks, months, maybe a month. Man, I'm going to call it six weeks. Okay, but you know, and I, I have to. First, I had to walk up and down the street and say, and say, hey guys, you need to come down and find out that, you know, I'm doing something kind of fun. I'm playing all my favorite records. Like, dude, okay, dude wasn't invented, but it was like, uh, yeah, it was a blast. It was so much fun, and they would come and then. But you you had to bring it to your fan base that now uh, you were no longer going to DJ. Well, it was pretty sad. That's a little hard for the neighborhood. Well, I found a way around it. (laughs) Of course you did. Yeah, I did. Um, 
the, I was every Saturday, uh, WYPR, which was the town's top 40 radio station, would broadcast from the Baloo Park Shopping Center. Not Baloo, Baloo. Baloo. Baloo Park Shopping Center. And every Saturday, Dandy Dan Henderson would go up there, and I started riding my bike up to see Dandy Dan. I befriended him. I would go get coffee for Dandy Dan. I was his gopher. Okay. And after a while, he invited me into the van, and I would do things like, you it know. It pays to, like, work for free for people, Oh, absolutely. It? I, I, there wasn't work. It was heaven. <laughs> it was heaven. And heaven for him, too, because you were his errand boy. I was his errand boy. I would do whatever he needed me. I, go get me a newspaper. Okay. Then he started making little quips about me on the air. He would say, you know, uh, the, skip the kid or whatever he called me. It's back again. But one day, one fateful day, this is shortly after the carpet tube incident. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm with you on the timeline. How okay. old are we? Am you? I moving too fast? No, but how old are you? How old am I now? In, no, in oh, this time yeah, period. I'm really, really <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 38 now. Yes. Uh, I was probably nine. Okay, okay. I could have been somewhere between seven and nine, which would have made me eight if my math is correct. <laughs> okay, okay, so you were eight. I was eight. <clears throat> okay. I could have been nine. Right. Or okay. Seven. So <laughs> somewhere in there, which would be eight. Okay. Anyway, so I'd been hanging out with Dandy Dan all day. I even went, oh, by the way, I would get him coffee at one store and they knew I was getting it for Dan, so they would give it to me for free. And then I started going to the ice cream store and they would, I would say, I'm getting an ice cream cone for, for Dandy Dan. And it really, all, it was for you. It's, no, no, it was for Dandy Dan. And I would get <clears> one for myself, oh, of course. Yeah, that was, they never charge. So it, it was like the jackpot. It was awesome. So what was the fateful day that Oh, happened? yeah, yeah. I forgot about that oh, part. Oh, the moment. ADD Radio. It's called uh, Rabbit Trail Radio. Yeah. So what happened was is I take my, I ride my bike home after I've had a great day hanging out with Dandy, been Dandy Dan. It's with been Dandy Dan. Dan. It was great. Skip the kid and Dandy Dan are having a great day. So I am... I get home, and the Danville Bee, which is the afternoon paper, the Regist Danville Register was the morning paper, the Bee was the afternoon paper. Okay. okay let's review. Okay. Which one was the morning paper? Um, the Bee. Oh. <laughs> the Revel. The Register. The Register was the morning paper. The afternoon paper was the Bee. The I, bee. I get home I like. Saturday afternoon. The Saturday Bee is what we refer to it as. The Saturday Bee yep. is on the, on the front porch. Front porch. And uh, I pick it up, I take the little rubber band off, newspapers used to come in rubber bands, okay. I take it off and I unfold it, and right in the bottom of the front page, it says, uh, soul singer, I don't even think they used the word soul back then, R&B singer Sam Cooke was shot in his motel room in Los Angeles and is dead. Details in tomorrow's Sunday register. And I thought, now, this was long before you had, you know, like internet or anything else. And, you know, Dandy Dan sitting out there. In a, so you had breaking news. I had breaking news. So you got on your bike. I got on my bike. I slammed that thing into the basket. It was, I was co-ranking. So you were just pedaling as fast as you could. Oh, please. My little, I was probably about eight inches off the ground. But you knew you had breaking news? I did. That's I how knew. in tune you were I was your, thinking, your profession. I was thinking, Dan does not know this. This is big. Yes. So I'm pedaling. So I go up and I, I, I slide. Hey, Emma. 
<laughs> you're, you're so Emma, excited. She's playing. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so I slide, I, you know, do a, do a skid mark and drop the bike, and I walk up to the to the window of the van, and I just very cinematically pressed it up there against the glass with, the, with you know, my hair falling in my face, and I'm gasping for breath. I'd pedal for so <laughs> oh, hard. Yeah. And Dan looks at it, and he says, <gasps> this is really big news. And you said, I know. And as he said, come in. You're going to have to read it. What? And all of a sudden. Did you freak? Of course I did. Did you find words to speak? I did. Did you, I did. Did you I freeze got into, under pressure? Uh, oh, oh, of course not. <laughs> of course not. You thrive. I. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause, yeah. He didn't ask about the carpet. So <laughs> I get into the van and he puts the little headphones on me. Back okay. then they were ceramic they were ceramic headphones okay. with the, like a metal thing going over your head. Okay. And he says, what you're going to hear is, you're going to hear, do you know when news breaks out, whipper breaks in? And I said, yeah, I know it. I've heard it on. The, he said, okay, when you hear that, after that, you're going to hear the dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. And when you hear that, you read this. And he took the actual piece from the, from the newspaper and he edited it. Edited it. Edited it. It's hard to say. That is hard to say. That's a tough one. All right. Uh, so luckily that word was not in the copy. He revised it. Yeah, he revised it okay. much better. <laughs> and he said, you know, he took the whole thing and then he tagged it out for WYPR News. I'm Skip Bishop. And he said, when you hear the deet de deet, I'm going to open your mic and you read it just as it is. Was your heart pounding? Yes. <laughs> my heart was coming out of my ears. Have you ever been that nervous again in your life, do you think? No. Okay. No, but I have to tell you, I steadied myself right before it all happened. And he was playing a record that you do not remember because you weren't even thought about back then right. by an artist called Millie Small. Mm. And the song was called My Boy Lollipop. It was a big record. And Did you have a radio voice at eight years old? No. So how did you talk? Were you a little more high-pitched back then? I was, probably. Did I was you, eight. Did you sound like a, a little eight-year-old? Probably. I don't know what I sounded like. <laughs> I there was no... I, I don't... I, I really, I don't know if it was ever recorded. I doubt it. Uh, so, Dan, I, I'm, we're listening to my boy lollipop. Did it, did did. You make my heart go flippity flop. Did it, did did. And all of a sudden, bam, he hits the news sounder. Boom. When news breaks out, whipper breaks in. And then the deet, did deet, deet start. And what Dan did, which was a mistake, and I will never forget it. And I knew it was a mistake when he did it. He dumped out of the record without turning it down, so it go, went on the air. But then the sounder came in. So it was like Millie Small was singing along, and people were grooving in their cars. And then it went, down when news breaks out. So I said, oh, my God, Dan, that wasn't cool, man. <laughs> uh, in my head, I said right. that. So the DDD comes on, and I read the copy, and I, and I nailed it. I oh. just, and I knew I had nailed it. <laughs> I knew great it. Feeling. It was incredible. Yes. You know that feeling yes. after you're like you're on stage, you, you're doing a song, and the song goes up to great. The plate and you performed. Yeah, yeah, smacked it out yes. of the park. And then he brought up the the sounder, and here comes Millie Small back. He goes right back into the record, and I'll never. I fell back on the on the chair, and I remember I fell back to, and I closed my eyes. And I was catching my breath, and then I looked up, and Dan is doing this thing where he's nodding. He's nodding. Not saying anything, he's just nodding. And he said, stick with it. <gasps> he said, stick with it. Have you ever, do you know what happened to Dandy Dan? No, and I have Googled him several times with, with uh, 
maybe we will find him on Dandy Dan. He was incredible. I, I will tell you this. He got you started in a way. He I also, gave you confidence. He did. Well, yes. And I would hang around every radio station in town. Every, I mean, I would every weekend I would go from WBTM to WDVA to YPR. Any, any event where they were, I was there. And I got to be buds with the... All this is available. That's very, that's very like, um, for a child so young, to have that kind of confidence and... Hustling power is very. It wasn't uh, really hustling power. It was pure but joy. But most kids are nervous to go talk to adults and put themselves out there like that. Oh well. Not Skip Bishop. <laughs> it was just fun. It was fun. I would go. But you weren't scared. That's the thing. Like most kids would be too scared to do it. I know? would knock on the door at radio stations on the weekend until someone would come, and it was usually the weekend jock, and they, and they'd say they come on in, and they let me sit in the control they room. That was fun. They did, you know, because I would, you know, can I get you anything? You know, like you know, <laughs> I, I can go here. to the store. <laughs> I can get you some coffee. No, 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 and you know, and I would be quiet, and or or I would ask questions, or some. Sometimes they said, look, you can't come in. My boss is coming. But they would give me Billboard magazine, That's you know, awesome. which was like the, you know, they would they'd give me free copies like of records. It's like free gold. Oh, it's incredible. So that sparked it. Did that lead to you? Were you on air as a radio personality yes. first? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then mm -hmm. you became a radio personality. I did. And that lasted for how many years? How long were you on air as a radio I'm going to have to think about that. Like I would 5, say 10? 20 maybe. 20? Maybe. 15 so or 20. So you were like the voice of stations. Uh, I was mainly a morning show dude. Did you like being on a morning show? I did. That was the only show I liked. What did you it, like about the morning show? Uh, not you, you were ahead of the world. You had to jump on everything. It was more of a creative palette. You couldn't just go in there and do the time and the temperature and talk about what record was coming up next and talk over the intros. This was top 40, by the way. So what, a, like pop? Pop. So what, how did you find your breaking news? Like, where did you gather that? Because if that you're in came, morning shows, you have to know what's happening. Uh, well, I'll tell you, we, we rewrote the newspaper. What do you mean? Oh, you just read the newspaper? We rewrote it. We rewrote it. I had a couple of people in there. We would bring in the morning paper. And you also had a teletype. You know, you would have the t -t 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 machine that would, from AP or UPI, which would constantly spit out all the news. And you'd get there early enough to take all the human interest stories, all the headline stories. And then you take the local news out of the newspaper, which we just blatantly stole. Yeah, just We're, plagiarism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really plagiarism. It was just, you know, like it, it, it is the news. Right. This is what's happening, and, you know, and we would just rewrite it. But how do you know the news was correct? Oh, who cares? It's certainly <laughs> not now, is it? Well, no. <laughs> I've realized now doing some hosting and working with some news stuff, news is sometimes just taken straight off the Internet, which isn't really like well, there's it, no yeah. strong sources sometimes. We are finding that out, aren't we? But we are. Yeah. So tell me one of the craziest stories that happened as a morning show host and some of the celebrities that you worked with that blew your mind. Uh, I, I really, I, I don't know. I, I can't, uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of who that, probably my favorite interview I ever did of all time was Vincent Price. Oh. Do you know who he is? Yeah. You do not. I sure do. Who? He's so good looking. Yeah, he's very, he's all dead though. Yeah, but when he was alive, he, he was, was cool stud. looking, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I have actually somewhere in this office. It's that guy right above Diane. No, <laughs> that's my son-in-law. Oh. That's Andy. 
Andy's got some good eyes going on. Yeah, he, that's a self-portrait. He painted that himself. <laughs> uh, Vincent Price uh, was in town speaking, and I got to do the interview. What did you ask him? Well, it's really funny. I'll tell you what it was. Uh, I had a lot of questions prepared for him about films, and I knew he was an avid art collector. And I was so excited because I think I had seen every Vincent Price horror film ever made and loved them. I loved them. I mean, you, you couldn't collect movies back then. This was before you could collect movies. You mm -hmm. just got to see them when they came on. But uh, I knew a lot about his films, and I was so ready. But when we got into the interview, on every hand... He had a turquoise ring. Is that where you picked up your turquoise rings? That is exactly the moment. Stop it. Way, way so. No way. So I go in. I was going to ask you about your rings because, here, flash your rings. You're known for your rings. Well. Your turquoise rings, that's where it started. It's, it's exactly where it started. Did you go buy them all the next day? No, I was very poor. I was a poor college student. But... He had these cool turquoise rings, and I couldn't stop looking at them. And we, you know, we get seven, eight, nine minutes into the interview, and I say, "Mr. Price, I have to ask you. Uh, your rings, you're, they're just beautiful. They're stunning. Could you tell me about them?" And he says, "Well, you know, they're all different uh, designs of turquoise, and this is." Uh, uh, I love them, and we, and we spent probably a good piece of the interview talking about talking about his rings, and his, and that that moved on to that he collected other art besides painting. He collected other things, but afterward, after the interview, we chatted about rings a little bit more, and I just you know I thought, man, that's the coolest thing I ever had. So I have been collecting turquoise rings since that day. Wow! And you have you wear five every day, five turquoise rings. I do. And well, that's your no, signature. No, this is a wedding ring. <clears throat> well, that's, that's a... not that's not in the five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I do. Wow. Okay, so then you move on to promotion. So how did you decide to leave Radio World and Morning Show and start working at a record label? And how did you move from pop radio to country? Who well, were some of the acts that you broke in country music? Because you had a seven-year number one streak at Sony. I don't know what that means. Well, I was there for seven years, and we had a tremendous amount of number ones. I think that the time that I was there, we had a total of, I don't remember... 40 seems to come to mind. How I can't, did you do that? Well, it was it was several things. Number one, it was a really good time for music, and we had a strong roster, and, and Sony still does. Who doing, was on your roster at that time? Uh, when I got there, uh, I was at Arista proper. Which I came a, in to work at Arista. So p sometimes people don't know this. There's like a major label, which is Sony, and then sometimes there's like labels underneath it. Correct. So there's four labels, I think, under yeah. Sony. At the time, Arista is one of them. At the time, it was Arista, RCA, where I was the first record gig I ever had was at RCA Records on the pop side. Okay. Uh, where I, I met that girl over there. Your beautiful wife. Yeah. Hello, Diane. She was hanging out in New York, <laughs> winking at me. She was, I moved to New York and she's following me around and she's trying to get me coffee, just like I'm Dandy Dan Henderson. <laughs> we had formed a company in New York after I had gone from RCA Records to MCA Records on the West Coast. And you're we're, working only pop records. Oh, no, 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 no. We're pop, rock, everything but country. Okay. Rhythm records. Uh, Who were some of the acts you were? Urban records. Oh, my God. Just give Where me do you highlights. Want to, oh, good Lord. Uh, oof, God, I don't know where to start. In sync. Rick Astley, uh, Jefferson Starship, uh, Lou Reed, uh, 
uh, Elton John, uh, the band live, Elvis Presley. Not, about Elvis. not not as a current. Oh. Uh, Hall and Oates. Uh, Lisa uh, Loeb? Uh, Lisa Loeb. Yeah, Lisa Loeb, who is still one of my dearest friends in the world. Did you work her when she had her song Stay? Yes. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, yes, yeah. So Actually, you were just we, we became stars. very, very close during the Stay days because okay. she was unsigned at the time. And we oh, boom, wow. boom, 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 boom. Anyway, so we had left New York and gone to Los Angeles, and I was at MCA Records. Okay. Then we left there because we had decided to start our own company, which. Who's we? My my business partner over there. Okay, Diane and Skip have decided to start their own company, even though which you're my working. wife was in the music business. She was before she retired. Uh, which here's how she retired. Did you she, work in promotions? She did. Okay, so y'all met in promotions. Yes. Ooh, Ooh la la. Yes. Promotions mm-hmm. is what we were talking about earlier, where mm-hmm. they are kind of what launches. Well, we're the ones the that go out and get, get the, the single records. played. Yes, that's what we it's were. It's the doing. hands and feet of getting the single played. Exactly. That was a long time ago. We have really just bounced all around like hey, a pinball. Hey, it's Rabbit Trail Radio. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay, so you and Diane have met working in promotions. Y'all are both in the pop world in L.A. or, we, or New York, back and forth. And we decided we're going to start our own company, which was a promotion and marketing company. Okay. And we went to Florida for a few minutes to play with our baby who had just been born. And we moved back to New York after that. And we started a company called Bishop Bait and Tackle. And if you think of what that, you know, what that really means, you know, that we would bait and tackle, we were a marketing company. Okay. And people would call all day going, uh, do you guys have uh, worms and shiners? And like, no, we're not really a bait and tackle company. But, right. It, but we, we get that. So that company grew and grew and grew and grew. And uh, for one reason or another that we won't get into, we just really got tired of it. Okay. It was really successful, unbelievably fun, but it was just... It ran its course. It ran its course and almost ran me ragged. Okay. It was just so much craziness. Okay. It was crazy. So we decided to pull the plug, shut it down, and move to, from New York City, living on Broadway, we decided, okay, where do we want to move to? Where do you think we moved to? I know where you moved, because I researched you. Some little tiny town on top of a mountain. Lookout Mountain. Yes. <laughs> we moved to Lookout Mountain. So y'all were really needing a 180. Yeah, yeah. We we like we y'all moved. were like we want a piece out from city life. Yeah, y'all. yeah, yeah. And we it was like Green Acres. Did you like it? Well, I'll tell you. Have you ever seen the movie The Shining? First of all, I don't watch scary okay, movies. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Let me. The purpose was we were going to move there, and I was going to write a book. And you have been trying, have you written a book yet? I'm about eight chapters in. Skip Bishop, I have known you now for three years and you've been talking about writing a I've book. I've been trying, I'm writing book, the book. I'm going to kill you. That's well, harsh. I'm better, I take it back. I'm, I'm going to cut off honey, your hair. Honey, get the word processor out. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean that. You've uh, got to write your book. I'm writing the book. Okay. And, and a lot of these stories are in the book. So when it's out, if you want to hear them again. Yes. Uh, so, so you started writing your so book. So we went to Lookout Mountain. We bought this big old rambling house on the with this gorgeous view of a bunch of trees and wild turkeys and, and the rocks. Like yeah, it was so peaceful. Yeah. So we moved up there, and in about it took about six weeks for me to go completely out Stir of crazy. my skull. It was like, oh my god, in heaven! And you and, know what y'all did? Y'all did a fad diet for moving. 
you were so ready for like a change in a diet yeah, yeah. that you jumped, but then you got there and you wanted out, right? Well, it's not that we wanted out, but we knew like, oh my God, what? I mean, it was, there was no one there. There was, the town was 1,000 people. Thank God and y'all liked There was 1,000 people in our building in New York. And then we're in, in, in this town and it was so isolated and crazy. And it, nice I would go down to the grocery store just to have conversations with people. <laughs> And, uh, and I would drive them nuts. I'm like, hey, let me, let's talk about something and chase them around. You know? yeah. So uh, then Butch Wah, who I worked with my entire career, Y'all and Joe Galanti, who was running Sony at the time. Butch used to be in pop, rock, all that too. Correct. Okay. He's the guy that hired me into... Country from radio music. into to RCA Pop. So he took you from the morning show. Butch Wall took you from the morning show to RCA Pop Promotions. Correct. Now he's taking you to Nashville. Correct. So Butch Wall has been like, you're kind of like. He's, 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 he, I'm telling you, he and I have been, tra- and we, and you today. you a dynamic duo. We, we have two companies together now. We have Studio 2B and we're, we have Hits Me Up. And he was the best man at our wedding. And to work with someone for that many years and still love each other, we love and each be other. The best man at your wedding is an amazing sign. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. So we're on the way to the church, and we're who's getting married? You and Diane? Yes. Okay. And and her, we're getting married. <laughs> Butch and I are in one car going to the church. This is in Manhattan. Diane's in another limo, which is a whole other story because the limo driver got lost and oh. was 20 minutes late to the Perfect. wedding. So you thought Diane was not showing up to the wedding? Correct. Oh, my gosh. Did you have a heart attack? Yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm already sweating bullets because <laughs> I'm getting really married, right? Was, I mean, Yes, of course. she was no-showing? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm, not, I'm calling on the cell phone. They had just been invented. Uh, <laughs> and nothing. I'm getting nothing. And that's awful. Yeah, and, and I understand that she used some very unchristian language to the limo driver who yeah. got lost in Manhattan yes. traffic. So we're all standing there, and, you know, the music's playing, and people are looking, and up, 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 uh. Anyway, the point is, is on the way over, I'm already a nervous wreck. Right. And Butch says to me in his true southern accent, he says, you know the only difference between my tuxedo and your tuxedo? And I said, no, what's that? He said, I tried mine on first. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, do I need this? <laughs> and he kept, and the whole time we were backstage or whatever you call it at the church, yeah. and he's looking out going, she ain't coming. <gasps> she ain't coming. Your tuxedo doesn't fit, and she ain't coming. So you really didn't try your tuxedo on? Of course I did. He oh. was just giving me grief. So anyway, she shows up about oh. an hour and a half late. Oh, my gosh. Um, we get married, and where were we going with this? Butch Wall friendship. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank God I could keep some track a little bit. I yeah. have a trail worse than you, though. Mm-hmm. So now he plucks you out of pop radio, and he's plucks. he's he's not running RCA, or is he running Sony? He he's is like the president. When uh, when I left pop radio, he was the regional guy for RCA Pop. He hired me to be one of his regionals. Then he got promoted to New York to run the promotion department. And shortly thereafter, he called me and said, I need you in New York. So he took me from Texas to New York. And boy, did we have a lot of fun and got in a lot of trouble. I can trouble, only trouble, imagine. Trouble, trouble. Martinis as big as your head. I love that. But it was great. But we got a lot done. We broke a lot of records, and we tried a lot of, we took a lot of chances and did a lot of innovative things. And he actually said a quote about you, which I have to read. It's so cute. He Butch said, said that? Yeah. 
he goes asked a question if you could trade lives with anyone for one day who would it be and he said i would trade with skip bishop he's the most creative person i know i'd like to get in his head and find out what's going on in there <laughs> what, what, what? I, I never know, heard I just, that. I, well, Where'd you find that? On the on internet. The, on the intranet? On the intranet. I got to get that. He actually quotes you a lot. He talks about you a lot on the internet. Well, we talk about each other. We're big buddies. Yeah, you talk about him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. So then, so now y'all are doing Pop Radio in New York together. Yes. So now he gets asked to do what at Sony? He, uh, well. Or RCA. He, well, he was the the head of promotion. He was the senior VP. I think he was the EVP, the executive VP. Of of the label and Joe Galani came up shortly. Yes, Joe uh, of RCA in New oh, York. RCA, RCA. Yeah, and Joe Galani left Nashville and came to New York and became the president of RCA Pop. So, so but Joe Galani went from country to pop. Correct. And oh. we were all up there. You know, we were. It was hillbillies running the show. It was like a reality show before so reality. So a bunch of country show. folk were and we running. We were doing pop. great. Yeah, and we had a good time. Great. Yep. So then what happens? Now how do y'all get to Nashville? So I go to MCA, boom, Joe goes back to Nashville and becomes chairman of Nashville. Uh, Butch goes with him to come become the EVP GM of Sony Nashville, which okay. wasn't Sony at the time. I think it was still BMG. And then the merger happened. Uh, there's mergers everywhere, left and right. right. Um, and I was still out on the West Coast with MCA. So when I left and I started Bishop Payton Tackle, they were already fully entrenched in Nashville. And my one of my jobs in my company was to cross their records to pop. So, so you for started Joe and, the crossover. Correct. Oh. I, as a matter of fact, um, Butch and Joe brought Lone Star to New York and said, I got to play you this record. Do you think we can get it played on pop radio? And uh, Butch and I took it to, to Z100, the biggest top 40 radio station. And, of course, then there's Kiss in L.A. I have to say that because John Ivey's probably watching, and he would be really mad at me if I said that Z100 was bigger. But I happen to be living in New York. So Z100, we convinced them to play it one time. One time. And the things that you, you have to, like, really work hard to get people oh, to play absolutely. a record. Oh, it was crazy. Thing, I mean, like, it would go around and around, and I have to go back in. I go, look, I would plead my case, and they go, we don't play country records. We're a top 40 radio station in New York. We're leaning dance right now, and I'm going, play it one time. So you finally convinced them. And I had, and fi- here's what I had, here's what I said. I said, look, if you play it one time in midday, and if you don't get any reaction, and it's nothing, I won't work you on any more records. How, what does a reaction mean? Is that meaning like people phone calling calls? In? Back then, it was phone calls. Now that people email. Now in? it's it's that and immediate reaction through. It, things have changed, and we could talk about that later. But back then, it was phone calls, and and sales. Sales. But uh, it's still sales to a degree. They radio still monitors that. But at then, it was mostly phone calls, and the phones. Exploded. Rang off. Uh-huh. Was it amazed? Yes. Yeah. One time, one play in the middle of the the you know hot rock and flame throwing Z100 from high atop the world trade. Can no. I ask you a question? Yes. Why is it so hard sometimes to convince radio to play songs? Because they are the gatekeeper, and I love radio so much. But it is. Well, is it because their playlists are so tight and yes. it's yes. so expensive and it's money driven? Because sometimes people might think. Oh, a superstar is putting out a song, or oh, an act is putting out a song. You know what's really more important than money when it comes to a radio campaign? What is passion and belief? True that. Yeah, it's true. You you can have a tremendous budget, and 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 there's three things: 
passion, belief, and great music. Because if you've got a lousy record and a trillion dollars, you can't make it a hit. True. You can't. You can maybe get it played and put it in position to be a hit, but you it won't become a hit if it's not a hit. But if you've got great music and you know it and you feel it and you believe belief, in it and it's like they become you, they become your children you those songs that you will you like it's all they're very similar to the same thing it, it's 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 a similar emotion to your to how you love your children and i love my children so you have to love the songs you're promoting or else you can't do it you you do but you can make yourself believe sometimes <laughs> there have been times that we have to make ourselves believe but the key is is when you're in a position to where you can influence what gets what gets released as a single because you know that one is better than that one so how do you know when a song is better than another song and it's going to work on radio well i'm going to tell you okay there there is a way and it's and a lot of people don't believe this but i i do and i've had a fantastic career because i do believe it and i and i and i will I will fight for this till the end of the day, is people are born with the gift. They are born with the gift of hearing hit records. It's a weird gift. It, it's a, you know, it's like what I like to be, you know, if, if you know, if God said, okay, we're going to make you a fantastic accountant. Right. Or we're going to make you a brain surgeon. You know, of or course, you have to do all that. You have to study it and you have to, but you study it because you love it. Right. There's people who study the art of records and hit records because they love it and they become, I mean, it's one of the, I can give you a list of 326 things that I am so bad at, <laughs> that I just terrible. Right. But, I know I get that feeling when gut? I hear one that's got is it it's only gut feelings. Like, no, can you, can no, you put no. It, it into words or is no, it only no, a uh, feeling? Uh, it's it as time goes by and you do it. Mm -hmm. It's like everything else. It's like flying a plane or you playing professional football. It becomes your DNA that, you know, that track is going to work faster than that track and that track may work, not work at all. But what and, if it's a great song and you know, it's a great song, but there's sometimes you hear a great song and you're like radio doesn't won't play this because it's well, too that's, slow or it's a ballad. Well, that's or true, and then you have to be you have to be creative and you have to be tenacious. And sometimes like the content's too serious and, and they don't want to handle that. Absolutely, and you I, I will I will tell you the the toughest and best record I ever worked in my entire career was Brad Paisley's Welcome to the Future. We had. A, it was right after Barack Obama was elected for the first time. Is when that. So it really was "Welcome to the Future." It really was. That's what the song yeah. was about. Uh, it, it, well, at least the song was about a lot of things. The song it was about. Uh, yeah, it lended itself, and I remember the last verse was it addressed racism, and uh, and we had pushback. We really had pushback over that song. There were people who were upset that, you know, that their candidate didn't win. And they would say, I didn't vote for the guy. And it's a Valentine to our uh, to Barack Obama. And I don't think my listeners want to hear it. And I'm going, it's a great song about the world changing. It's not it's not about Barack Obama per se, it's about the world changing. It's a, and, and if you don't think it is, you need to get out of your job. <laughs> and we really had to wrestle and fight 
and go back and people there were people that refused to play it there were people that played it and took it off because they intentionally said oh it's not working for me but they didn't really know there were other people who would pound it because they thought it was an innovative piece of art but it was tough when do you know when to give up the fight for a song never never oh well like a, fight yeah, a, for a, a song like that, or for, when, when, yeah. or when you're seeing nothing. Like if you fight if you're it and nothing. fight it and fight it, and like if you've given it all you have, and radio's just resisting, and the sales aren't happening, then that's then you you know if you're getting nothing. That I, must be a hard feeling when one of your babies isn't taking flight. Well, yes, and it happens. Um, it happens, and but you know the beautiful thing is is these artists have other songs, right? And you know they're. Songs that you believe in so much that don't grow grow legs or wings, and it's a difficult thing. But if you if you know and you stay in it and you're seeing the signs, if you're seeing, you know, back then it was all about sales, but now it's all about streams. So and what it's are the all, signs now? Uh, streaming. Uh, a lot of that. So that, you want to have like millions of streams. You want to have millions of streams, and, get on and all you the still want to have sales. Yeah, and you have to. You know, it's really interesting. Record promotion has changed. You have to. I talk about, you know, the end game being terrestrial radio, but... And that's just like the radio station you turn on in your car. And a lot of times, correct, that's the one with the antennas, the ones that, that you listen to. And, but 10 years ago, we didn't have, well, we did 10 years ago, but there was a time that we didn't have Sirius XM. Right. We did not have Spotify. We did not have Pandora. Uh... We didn't have robust social media campaigns. And also, those are important to notice because terrestrial radio in your car, they are run by major corporations, and they are only allowed to play a certain playlist for the most part, which is like 20 songs, right? Well, it depends on the company. But it then depends like Sirius on the company. And XM, they can play whatever they want. So that's a whole new avenue. They don't play whatever they want. They just take more chances and okay. they're more aggressive. Is that how that goes? And, but I will tell you, some radio stations are as aggressive. They are. But the corporate stations tend to have guidelines. And they also have, they rely on, let's, let's look at the two differences of the models. Uh, Spotify and Sirius XM rely on subscriptions, where radio, uh, relies on ad money ad money and 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 time spent listening yeah. and they want everything to be familiar and they yeah. you know they're you they, it's the a diff, it's a different yardstick and so luckily subscriptions we, versus ratings ratings turn into dollars for for terrestrial radio it's a different game and but but since the whole landscape is is changing you've got um iheart media spending so much uh, attention and time and creativity with iHeartRadio, an app. Mm. So, that you know, they have changed their model. Because we, we didn't have that before. Right. We didn't have, you know, before you went to radio and you really didn't have a whole lot more except for touring mm -hmm. and, and those sort of in marketing mm. and press and print. But now... It's a wonderful new world where you can break a record off Sirius, Spotify, Pandora, uh, all the other sites. Uh, and, and really, I can't ever downplay the importance of social media. You can break a record on social media. Mm -hmm. and, and in some cases, in some cases, radio is the last piece of the puzzle. That's still rare. Yeah, yeah, but it it is. I mean, these records will become hits in other sources, but 
that's great for radio because they someone broke will it for take, them. Someone will take the chance that they don't have to take. Because they are constantly being asked to take chances on new songs. Sure, everybody so is. That's what we do for a living. You can see why radio gets a little bit like I can't add it right now. I can't because they're having people call them every day saying, "Add this song, add this song," and they're like, "I have fifty songs that people want me to add today." I was on the other side of that desk for a long time, and if you allow the amount of phone calls, if you take the amount of phone calls that you get, you will never get any work done. Because How many phone calls would you get a day? Oh, God. people wanting you to Endless. play their songs? Endless. Well, first you've got the major labels, then you've got the, you've got the smaller labels, then you have, you know, a lot of the smaller independents, and it's, it's very different. It, it takes... Of course, that's how you find the hits, by the way, because a lot of those records break out of the lower sectors. Mm-hmm. And, but you, you have to have someone on staff usually to be able to... Filter? Filter, Not filter, but really take the information, compile it, let's look at what's happening, break down the charts. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a thing. I mean, if you, you can't spend the whole day on the phone with every record promoter because your head would explode. So, and also, I think it's cool to segue. So you, speaking of record promoter, so you've had record promoters calling you, wanting you to play their songs when you worked on the on the other side, like the morning shows and at the radio stations. Correct. Then you move and you're actually being the promoter calling who you used to be saying, play my record. So you're like, you totally get it. You get both sides of the fence. Then you go, you're working in a major label. When you leave Sony, you start your own independent label, which is like a really big deal because it's so much harder to get independent acts played. But at the same time, you have more freedom, you have more flexibility. How was the difference of working in a major and running an independent? Well, I'll tell you, the thing that that always comes to mind was I would think, okay, let's do a, a campaign we need. Here's what we need to do. We need to do a marketing campaign on this particular artist, on Natalie Stovall and the Drive. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is this. And before, I was so used to picking up the phone and calling someone in the in the marketing department, or someone in in the art department, or someone in the A and R department. I would think, well, if I want to do that, I kind of kind of have to do it myself. There's no one to call. And you're you know a small group of people. How mm-hmm. many people were we? 12? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it was not a big staff. And uh, it really brings out the best in people. You find that everyone rises to the occasion. And it was fantastic because I think that we were a very creative, a very driven, and a very tenacious group of people who had a, a lot of fun. It was so much fun working at Hit Shop Records. Oh, we had a blast. It was, it was so, so much fun. Yeah, and um, that that's really the main difference. And it, it's really funny. You can have a gazillion hits at a major label, and then you call and say, hey, I'm starting my own label, uh, and they go, okay, what do you got? You're You're – even some of your best relationships, musically, you're kind of right back in the back of the line. You have to sort of start over. Luckily, you do have the relationships that with people that will give you a shot and they will listen to your music. Superstar acts and major labels always have the the manpower. It's and called leverage. Leverage, yeah. which we never got to. Who are some of the acts that you were breaking at Sony? Was it Carrie Underwood? Well, the first record I was handed was Carrie. Carrie had just when I got there in 2005, she had just won Idol, and. Uh, 
I love Carrie. And oh, it, yeah. the first, when I first got there, like when, even before I even showed up for work, it was when I was just kind of hanging around the office. Uh, Butch handed me a white label copy and said, this is the first record you're going to work. And I put it on and it was Jesus take the wheel. And I thought, well, this is going to be easy because this is awesome. Yeah. And I it was familiar with Carrie because I watched Idol and she came to the office and she was just such a little munchkin back then. And she was so hardworking and so sweet. Uh, and at the time we had just launched when I got there, Brooks and Dunn had Believe, mm. which was they were probably four weeks into it. Okay. And. It was slow going because really? people were going, "Oh man, that's a that's a really long record, and it has the same tempo as first time ever I saw your face by Roberta Flack, which is something you won't remember." No. That was a slow song, and it was tough. And it took ballads are harder to break than upbeat songs on the radio. You know, even though Brooks and Dunn had a gazillion hits, they. It took it took fifty weeks to get that record all the way through. Wow, when 50. they were at the top of their game. Yep. Wow. Fifty weeks. And most songs, so that's made like my hair a gray. Full year. I had brown hair when I started well, working I'm glad that record. Well, it turned gray because it looks great. Thank you so much. Most songs that are superstars take like what twenty weeks, twenty five, thirty. Well, a, a typical back in those days when it was when Brad and Carrie and Brooks and Dunn and Alan Jackson, and when we were, you know, we had Kenny Chesney and. Uh, you know, we, we Miranda was, you know, he'd come to us from Sony. Uh, a An act would be from 14 to 20 weeks. Oh, wow. Some as much as 14, so as quickly as 14 weeks. Fly. And now fly. songs are taking forever on the chart. They are. The chart is very slow nowadays. Why do artists cycle out? Like, why does artists be huge stars like Alan Jackson and Brooks and Dunn, and then all of a sudden they're just, it's just, they're not... The ones that are the the huge stars on the charts anymore. Well, I will tell you because just like everything else, it, it's a lot. A lot of it's 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 life. It's you know the artists are they have earned the right to try different things. I remember when Alan came in with he had two consecutive albums. One of them was Red on a Rose, which was produced by Alison Krauss, wow. and it was brilliant. It was brilliant, and but it was not your typical radio record. It was, some even called it a side project for Alan. He had had a tremendous amount of hits, and he kind of took some time off and did this brilliant record. And I, I, I thought it was a masterpiece. And but then I was also thinking, oh my God, I got to get this thing played. <laughs> and you know, country radio. We did, we had a song on there called "A Woman's Love," which went top five. It could have been number one. It was definitely inside the top five, and. Uh, it was the most radio record on there, but the rest of it was a very ethereal, esoteric, beautiful, beautifully produced love song collection with, you know, a lot of pain. And it was almost like Alan had listened to a Joni Mitchell record. Okay, he was just feeling yeah. it. Yeah, and then after that, he came with uh, his gospel record, which sold, what, two and a half million units, but radio wasn't going to touch it. So Alan had earned the right to take chances, but... That's what happens. I mean, you know, you look at Paul McCartney and you look at Elton John, you know, they write symphonies and they write whatever they want to write. And, and you know, is, is pop radio or is, is rock radio going to play a Paul McCartney song? 
I don't know if he's going to give them the song that they want because he's going to do what he has earned the right to do. So maybe when they're making their more creative albums, someone else just slips up into that spot. Correct. Well, there's always going to be. It's just like it's just like the young kids in the schools. Mm-hmm. There's always new A geniuses new coming along, yeah. and you know some people will rise to the top, and some will really. There's. It's it's the way life is. Mm-hmm. It's the way people. Just because you're not having radio hits does not mean that you're not a viable, relevant, relevant artist. Right. Sometimes it's even more so because just because you're having radio hits doesn't mean that your music, because that radio plays one type of record, records that are going to work for the masses. Someone could be right, mm. case in point, when, you know, there's, there's rock artists who have written symphonies mm-hmm. and they... You know, do they hit a wider audience? Of course they don't. And I always always go back to an artist that I loved working with, Bruce Hornsby. Okay. Bruce keeps up with Joe and Butch and I. We were there when uh, he had a tremendous record called The Way It Is and three other hits on that album. And Bruce is an unbelievable musician. Unbelievable. He's one of the smartest, most brilliant musicians. His albums, if you follow them, are some of the most musically sophisticated records. He's still putting out these albums that will never get typical terrestrial radio, but they're brilliant masterpieces because he goes out there and does art. Mm -hmm. And he still tours and does great, but he has written classical pieces. He's written soundtracks. He's, uh, and he is having an unbelievably successful career producing the art that he is there to produce. He, and he, that's, he, he's happy with that. Happy with it. And he still practices his piano two hours a day. Wow. Two hours a day the man practices. That's crazy. He's serious. Okay, I have three more questions for you. Okay. What does the music industry mean to you? Everything. I just love it. I love it. I think of my family and the music industry and my friends are one big thing because they're, it's, I've never known anything else. And I just love the people in the music business, their characters, they're smart, they're creative, they're geniuses, they're shysters, they're hucksters, they're, they're comedians. They're, it's like a Faulknerian type thing. It's just fantastic. And I, and I love it, and I doubt I'll ever do anything else. And I love songwriters. Oh, I love songwriters because they're, so, they're, they're like Picasso and Monet and Renoir. They're... they're creating their art, and I just love them. Um, So that's what the music business means to me. It means everything. How would you describe God? Well, God is, that's that's a crazy question because I'm a deeply spiritual person. Uh, I believe very much I have a very deep sense of faith and God is a force of goodness and light and love. Uh, love being the operative word there. I think that the feeling of true, uh, unquestioned love is as close to you can get to touching God's face. The love that you have for a child, the love that you have for your friends and family, the love that you have for that you would give your life for something because you know that there's something beyond it. 
that's touching the face of God. And, and I, I, I love talking about the fact that sometimes you can see what I call the tangible touch of God's love. And I don't think God is a old white man sitting up on a throne where, with a beard, you know, calling the shots with a scroll of who's right and who's Mm -hmm. wrong. Because I think that, I think that, uh, the, you know, the Jewish faith and the Catholic faith and the Baptist faith and the Muslims and, and the, some of the Eastern religion, uh, I'm fascinated with a religion called Chaldai, which is a modern, um, Asian religion, which is fascinating. But if you look at them all, it's kind of all about this. It's all aimed at a force, a force, which is love. Why do we have to suffer? Because that's life. Life is, is real. You know, our bodies are real. You know, we're not perfect. Our bodies aren't perfect. We, that's why we, this is a shell and we decay and we fall apart. And why do some people get sick? Because it's life. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this time. This, it's what, you know, it's like a beautiful flower that wilts. That's what happens. This is just what life is. And, and there's pain. Pain is very much a part of life. And then there's happiness. And if you believe in love and the power of love, it starts to overtake you and you start doing the right things and you start realizing the power of, of, of believing in loving others and loving other people and, and this powerful word called respect that, you know, you look at someone and it's so, it's so easy to judge and you don't judge and you find out that somebody, my grandfather, who was the smartest man I'd ever met in my life, loved him that's his portrait over there. You can't see it on camera, Aww. but he looks over my desk. He was uh, the president of a college. He had a Ph.D. in divinity and a Ph.D. in theology. I don't know the difference. You're from geniuses, eccentric geniuses. Well, I don't know if I go quite that far, but he was a very, very smart man. He was also the mayor of the city, and uh, he was so smart. Uh, but he always told me, he said, you can learn something from everybody. And he said, you need to listen. And he's, I remember he, he lived in the president's house on the college campus in this beautiful home. And my grandfather, Pop, would love to sit and talk to the, to the people that worked in the garden. And there was an old uh, African-American dude that sort of had a cot and everything in the basement where he, he didn't live there, but he had his own room. And my grandfather would go down there and sit for hours and talk to him. And I was like, why, Dad, why do you always talk to I can't remember his name, Clarence or Amos, one or the other. And he would say, because you learn something from everybody. He said, he's so smart. He has so much wisdom, like everyone does. They said, you need to listen to, to everybody's story because everyone has, has wisdom, has something that they can offer you and you can learn from. I love that. Yeah, it was great. And it's true. Okay. So uh, one more question on this topic and then I'm wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Why are we here? On this earth. I'm asking for you because you're very smart. Well, for one reason. What? To break records. <laughs> <laughs> to break artists wide open. <laughs> you bring joy to the world through, through music. music. Because I know that that's a little bit of a joke, but I think that we're here to identify what we love and what we find our joy in and to make the world a better place and to create as much positive energy we can and move on to the next level. 
and to teach our children. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so leave your light. This whole interview has been inspiring, but I like to wrap up with leave your light. So leave some inspiration of how you would like to inspire people. Uh, I think the only thing that I could really say is open your mind, question authority, love thy neighbor, and search for peace. And remember the emotions of, of, of hatred and the emotions you have and when you get angry is just you being a, a human person. And we're, again, we're inferior beings. I mean, we, 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 we come and we go. You know, our time on this earth is short, even though it's, well, I, let's take that back. It's kind of long. It's, it's long, but it's short. It's long and short. But, yeah. you know, the, the real is it's, it's, a, it's a rotating wheel. And enjoy your time on earth and make the place a better place and, and just be kind to people and respect them. And it just it pays off in spades. I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but is it kind of like whatever you put out, you get back? I think more so. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. Hey, Skip Bishop, everybody. You are so darn cute. Oh, oh my Skip, God. Stop. Oh, Lord. I hope you loved all of the adventurous, wild, colorful stories of Skip Bishop. He is such a character. I love him so much. Next week, I'm super pumped. I have Adam Wakefield joining me. He was the runner-up on The Voice for season 10. And he talks all about that journey, what it was like, who he is as an artist, the whole process of being on TV. It's so interesting. And then I have American Young joining me for the second half, and they are a duo signed to Curb Records. They're both incredible songwriters and musicians in their own right. They've written some awesome songs. John Stone wrote Me and My Gang for Rascal Flats, Seven Days for Kenny Chesney. He wrote Kiss My Country Ass for Blake Shelton, A Woman Like You for Lee Bryce. Um, Only God Could Love You More, the new song out by Jared Neiman. Christy wrote Cheater Cheater for Joey and Roy, one of my all-time favorite duos. And she was also in a duo called Bombshell. She had singles on the radio called Fight Like a Girl, 19 and Crazy. They are both so talented. And this interview is so funny. We did it at the end of the day. And so everyone's feeling a little loopy. So we have a lot of laughs. So you guys make sure to tune in next week for Adam Wakefield and American Young. See y'all then. Bye.